الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا تركنوا إلى الذين غلموا فتمسكم النار وما لكم من دون الله من أولياء ثم لا تنصرون فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم سوموا عاشورا وخالفوا اليهود سوموا يوما قبله أو يوما بعده أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most suspected on my kiram, brothers and elders. First and foremost, it is extremely important that we have our intentions very clear of what is the purpose for having gathered here. Indeed, tonight is a very auspicious, this day is a very auspicious day. The 10th of Muharram is a very auspicious occasion. But the purpose of gathering on any auspicious occasion and listening to some discourse, listening to some talk, some advice. What is the object and purpose of this? So first and foremost, we should have it very clear in our hearts and minds that this is itself not any part of the virtue of the occasion. That it is something virtuous to specifically gather to discuss something on these auspicious occasions. Neither is it something as part of the sunnah of the day or night to gather for some talk. So it's neither compulsory, it's not something wajib. So this is merely on the level of tazkir, on the level of reminding ourselves, like we would gather on any other day without any occasion as such to remind ourselves of what is the significance and what we are supposed to be doing, what is the lesson we should be taking. So to refresh that lesson, to remind ourselves, that is the level on which this gathering takes place, nothing more than that. And therefore our hearts and minds should be very clear about this. So therefore we should have this niyat that we have gathered to inshallah learn about what is the significance of these occasions, whatever is pertaining to our amal, inshallah we'll try and practice. And whatever pertains to bringing deep down in our hearts and minds, in terms of creating the correct mindset, the correct thinking, then we will try to do that as well. This is the 10th of Muharram. So the month of Muharram itself, this is the first month of the Islamic calendar and this is the start of the new year in the Islamic calendar. So it's 1439 as we say Hijri. This is already something for us to ponder about that this new year that started, this Hijra calendar that we follow, which is truly the real date that a Muslim associates with. This is his date. This is the calendar that a Muslim has. As far as the Gregorian calendar is concerned, the January, February, that is out of sheer necessity because we live in a land where that is what is used. But this is the date of a Muslim. When a person inquires about, is it 
permissible to celebrate your birthday. So upon that you ask him, but what, what is your birthday? So he starts talking something about January and February. He says, but what is your birthday? Day? Your calendar is an Islamic calendar. He doesn't even know what is his birthday and he's talking about celebrating the birthday. One person forgot his wife's birthday that nearly, nearly became his death day. So these baseless things, obviously there's no basis in Islam for celebrating birthdays. In fact, it's one year closer to a person's grave. Allah knows what's best what's left of his life. So he should be actually be, be, be very concerned. I've already gone one more whole year closer to my grave. But this is the date of a Muslim. This is his calendar. What it is, we call it the Hijra calendar. In terms of the Hijra and the migration of Rasulullah from Makkah Mukarramah to Madinah Munawarara. Now the question is that why is it the Hijra calendar? Where did this start from? So this was discussed in the time of Sayyidina Umar that there is a need to establish a formal calendar for the Muslims. That this is the first year, this is the second year now, and so on. So what should be the day? How should we go about this? Hazrat Umar who gathered the Sahaba Ikram and put forward this issue that yes, this is something important, we should do this. And the consensus of the Sahaba Ikram is something that Rasulullah endorsed that my Sahaba would not unite on any deviation. La ummati ala balala. This consensus of the Sahaba Ikram is something Nabi Islam endorsed. And therefore many things which didn't take place formally in the time of Rasulullah it found its formal expression in the time of the Khulafai Rashidin. Tamassaku bi sunnati wa sunnati al-Khulafai Rashidin al-Mahadiyin. Nabi Islam said hold fast onto my way, the way of my Khulafai Rashidin. He endorsed it in advance. That yes, there are certain things in my lifetime, I would not have the opportunity or it would not yet be the time to formalize it. My rightly guided khulafa would formalize it. But the basis would be what I have already established. Like for example, the Taraweeh Salah. The 20 rakats of Taraweeh Salah from the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu All the Sahaba unanimously endorsed this and adopted it. And the basis was already from Rasulullah And ever since this has continued, no matter where, what might happen, but from that day to this day in the Haramain Sharifain, it has never been less than 20. Now this basis was from Nabi Salaam's time. It got, got, got formalized in the time of Sayyidina Umar Before that, some Sahaba would be in one corner performing the Tarawi Salah on their own, and a few others in another corner. Some Hazrat Umar gathered all behind one Imam Hazrat Ubaid bin and all the Sahaba endorsed it. And this endorsement of the Sahaba was endorsed by Rasulullah. So, likewise, when it came to the issue of the calendar, so various views came. Somebody suggested the date of the, the, from the birth of Rasulullah. Somebody suggested from the demise of Rasulullah. Somebody suggested something else. But then the main suggestions came. And everybody, then, there was consensus that no, it should be the hijrah. It should be the migration. That as of the year that the migration took place and the hijrah took place, that should be regarded as the first year of the Islamic calendar. 
And hence this was adopted unanimously by the Sahaba Ikram. And ever since this is the Hijra calendar that we follow. Now the point to ponder is, there are so many major events. And all these major events, or many of them were also presented as suggestions. There was the conquest of Makkah Mukarramah. Can we imagine that event? There were all the various other great occasions that happened. But apart from all that, what was chosen was the Hijrah. What is the lesson in this? If one studies the Hijrah and the migration, then if this does not move a person's Iman and stir his Iman, then it's something to check how much of the Iman is left. That what sacrifices were made? And this Hijrah at that time was farad, it was compulsory. Command of Allah Ta'ala came that all those who are able, able to make it must make the Hijrah. And in order to fulfill this command of Allah Ta'ala, the Sahaba Ikram left everything behind. They left their birthplace, they left their land, they left their businesses, they left their homes. Many of them were not in a position to take their families along, they left their families, not knowing whether they will ever see them in their lives again. And on the command of Allah Ta'ala, they left. And eventually Nabi Islam leaves also. And he comes on the outskirts. And then he turns towards Makkah Mukarramah. And then he addresses Makkah Mukarramah. That had it not been for my people forcing me to leave you, I would never have left you. Can we imagine what attachment? And then the Kaaba Sharif is there. And the Maqam Ibrahim is there. The Multazam is there. And all the various sacred places are there. Nabi Islam left it on the command of Allah Ta'ala. Now made Hijrah to Madinah Munawwara. And there were great sacrifices made in this Hijrah. Open the Fazail Amal and read the various incidents about the sacrifices. And the various books of history. Beyond our imagination. That spirit of sacrifice was meant to be kept alive. That for the rest of time, the ummah that will come till Qiyamah, they will follow this Hijri calendar. They will keep reminding themselves, 1439 Hijra. And they will remind themselves of this migration and this Hijrat. And they will remind themselves of the spirit of sacrifice. And the unimaginable sacrifices that were made by the Sahaba Ikram. And it will spur them to make some sacrifices for their deen. And Rasulullah left this door of Hijrat open for everyone. While that Hijrat is over, after the conquest of Makkah Mukarramah, that compulsory Hijrat was over. But in one hadith, Nabi Islam says, Al-Mujahidu man jahada nafsahu fi ta'atillah Wal-Muhajiru man hajara ma nahallahu an Who is the true Mujahid? The true Mujahid is one who strives against his nafs, his evil desires. He strives against it. He suppresses it in order to be obedient to Allah Ta'ala. He doesn't give in to those desires of the nafs. He doesn't give in to those base temptations. He suppresses that because he wants to be forever obedient to Allah Ta'ala. This is a true Mujahid. And who is the true Muhajir? The person who has made hijrat in reality. Nabi Islam says, Wal Muhajiru man hajara ma nahallahu an. The true Muhajir 
is the one who has forsaken what Allah Ta'ala has forbidden. Hijrat comes from Hajar. Hajar means to leave. The Sahaba left everything behind. They left their homes. They left their families. They left their children. They left their wealth. They left their properties. They left everything behind. Never to come back to it. And they left all this on the name of Allah Ta'ala. Now that hijrat is over, but our hijrat is ongoing. For example, tomorrow morning at the time of Fajr, to leave our beds. To make hijrat from our bed. To make hijrat from our homes to the masjid. Hijrat in the literal sense. And in the context of this hadith of Rasulullah That now to leave whatever Allah Ta'ala has forbidden. To leave out the gambling. To leave out the intoxicants. To leave out the interests. The Hadith Sharif Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, Allah Ta'ala's curse upon the one who consumes interest, takes interest. The one who gives it, pays it. The one who witnesses the transaction. The one who is ascribed to the transaction. Allah Ta'ala's curse is on all. وَقَالَهُمْ سَوَا Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, all are equal in the sun. So now to, to forsake that interest and riba and all kinds of haram transactions, to forsake all the gambling dens, the vice dens, to forsake the ways of those who oppose Rasulullah the ways of the Yahud and Nasara. So this is our hijrat. Wal-muhajiru man hajara The true muhajir is the one who has forsaken what Allah Ta'ala has forbidden. He has forsaken the external sins. He has forsaken the internal sins. Allah Ta'ala says, leave out the external sins, even leave out the internal sins. They clean out the heart from all malice, from jealousy, from envy, from greed, from arrogance, from pride, from all the evils of the heart. This is our hijrat. To remove all these evil qualities of the heart. To cleanse the heart out of all this. So this is one very, very important lesson for us to bear in mind. And for us to take deep down in our hearts. That every day, and we should be having the calendar in front of us. The Islamic calendar. It should be in our homes. It should be in our businesses. We should be constantly, daily refreshing this message. We should be teaching this message to our children, our families. This is a hijrah calendar. What is the hijrah all about? And what is our hijrah? What kind of hijrah we are supposed to be constantly practicing on? So this is the first very, very important lesson in terms of the month of Muharram as such and the Islamic calendar. Then as far as this month of Muharram is concerned, this is one of the four sacred months which has reference in the Quran Sharif. Minha arba'atun hurum. Allah Ta'ala says there are 12 months in the year, four sacred. Out of those four sacred months, one is Muharram. Now in the Quran Sharif where this is referred to, that there are four sacred months. Minha arba'atun hurum, Allah Ta'ala then says, ذَلِكَ الدِّينُ الْقَيِّمُ فَلَا تَظْلِمُوا فِيهِنَّ أَنفُسَكُمْ Look, this is a sacred month. And in all these sacred months, Zulqada, Zulhijjah, Muharram, and then the month of Rajab, Allah Ta'ala says, فَلَا تَظْلِمُوا فِيهِنَّ أَنفُسَكُمْ Don't oppress yourself in these months. 
What is this oppression? Allah Ta'ala is saying, don't oppress yourself in these months. This oppression refers to the oppression of the disobedience of Allah Ta'ala. The worst form of oppression in the shirk al-awulmun Worst form of oppression is shirk. The Quran Sharif, this is clearly stated. And then the lesser forms, compared to shirk, it will be lesser, but in itself very serious, is all the kinds of disobedience of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala is saying, don't oppress yourself, meaning don't get involved in any sin. Does it mean then only these months, these sacred months, thereafter do what you will? No, the lesson is that look, this, especially these months, these are very sacred months. At least respect the sanctity. Don't be so heedless and so neglectful, so lack of any concern. It doesn't matter what comes and what goes, what day it is, whether it's Jumu'ah, whether it is Ramadan, whether it is one of the Ashhurul Hurum, the sacred months, business as usual. The sins can carry on unabated. The phone is still filled with haram. The haram chatting is still carrying on. All other kinds of vices and sins, business as usual. Allah is saying, have some respect. Show some respect to these sacred months. The sanctity came from Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala made it sacred. Allah is saying, Don't violate the sanctity of these months. And with the barakat of being respectful to these months, inshallah this will continue thereafter throughout the year. That a person will keep himself safe from sin, inshallah. So it is not that there is a license to commit sin in other times. And he should just be conscious about things in this month. No, this is a time for even becoming more co-conscious, to become more careful, to become more observant. This is a time Allah Ta'ala has made very, very has sanctified it. Allah Ta'ala has made it very auspicious. At least I should respect that. And stay away from all things Allah Ta'ala has forbidden. So this month of Muharram is also one of the most four sacred months. In the Hadith Sharif it is mentioned that this is a month where each fast, any day of the month, a person who fasts on any day of this month, since this is such an auspicious month, Allah Ta'ala has multiplied the rewards of each fast by 30. One fast a person keeps, is like he has kept 30 fasts. So now the whole month, if he kept fast, for example, 29 days or 30 days, it will be 30 times 30, in terms of the reward. That already shows us what a great month this is. Then in one Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam says, that, فِيهِ يَوْمٌ تَعَبَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ وَيَتُوبُ فِيهِ عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ آخَرِينَ Nabi Islam says that in this month there is a day on which Allah Ta'ala forgave a nation. It's a very special day. And this special day Allah Ta'ala forgave a nation. Allah Ta'ala will forgive others also. Some people already got forgiven. Allah Ta'ala will forgive others also. Nabi Islam is saying, meaning people to come still. In this is a very great encouragement that look, these are occasions of toba. These are not occasions just to pass through the motions that we've, well, come and gone, we've been there and done that, and fine. No, these are occasions, Allah Ta'ala has created these occasions for His servants to come back to Him, for His servants to turn to Him, to make toba. 
In this hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam is giving us this encouragement. Look, some people, one nation already got forgiven. The ulama state that that day is referring to the day of Ashwatullah. And the nation is referring to the Bani Israel. Those who were with Musa Salaam, they got forgiven. And Allah wa Ta'ala will forgive others also. Meaning those to come, provided they turn to Allah Ta'ala. These are occasions to sincerely turn in repentance, to make tawbah, to resolve not to go back to the sins again, and to make every intention that we will stay firm and steadfast on this tawbah. Allah forbid, if that tawbah breaks, we will renew that tawbah. But at the time of making tawbah, there must be no intention that I will go back. That's not tawbah then. Then that tawbah is no tawbah. That tawbah must be genuine, it must be sincere. I'm not going to go back to the sin. In all the sins. And Allah Ta'ala will open the way then for a person, inshallah, to continue. So this is also an occasion of tawbah. Then comes the 10th of Muharram specifically. In one hadith sharif, it is mentioned that Rasulullah used to fast even before migrating to Madinah Munawwara. From Makkah Mukarramah, he used to fast on the 10th of Muharram. This was regarded an auspicious day from long before. So Nabi Sallallahu used to fast. When he came to Medina Munawwara, he continued fasting. Regarding this fast, initially before Ramadan became compulsory, it was the one day in the year, which was Farz. This was the day of Ashura. Can we imagine what a great day this is? That when there was no Ramadan compulsory still, and the one day that was chosen for the first fast was this day. And then Abdullah ibn Abbas says that مَا رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَتَحَرَّى سِيَامَ يَوْمٍ فَضَّلَهُ عَلَىٰ غَيْرِهِ I have never seen I have never seen Rasulullah anxiously await the fast of any day which he gave preference to other days. Like the day of Ashura. Many a times we anxiously await many things. Very eagerly await many things. It's not, it's still a good amount of time between now and December for example. Many people already have got their holidays booked. And they are already counting down. How many days left? Allah forbid many a times that holiday is where? That holiday is to a destination which is filled with every kind of vice and sin. And there's eagerness and enthusiasm for that sinful holiday. People are anxiously awaiting the time of sin, Allah forbid. And here we are learning that Rasulullah anxiously awaited this day of fasting, teaching us this is what we should be eager for. This is where our enthusiasm should be for. Eager to do the things of deen. Eager to get closer to Allah wa ta'ala eager to link ourselves to our Creator. Unfortunately, our aspirations are far away in a different direction. So we should be changing these aspects. This is a lesson. That if we have Allah forbid made some kind of booking of this nature to a destination of sin to cancel that. Many times a person says, not of money will get wasted. Rather waste the money than waste your iman. Allah forbid what might happen there, that whole iman might get wasted away. It's better that that money goes down the drain than the iman going down the drain. 
Then the akhlaq and haya going down the drain. Nabi Islam used to anxiously await it. When Nabi Islam came to Madinah Munawwara, the Sahaba Ikram came to Nabi Islam and said, but the Jews are also fasting on this day. So Nabi Islam called them and asked them, why do you fast? So he said, well, this was the, the day Anjallahu Musa wa qawmahu Allah Ta'ala saved Musa and his people from Fir'aun and the armies of Fir'aun. Fir'aun and his armies were destroyed and Musa and his people were saved. Fasamahu Musa shukran lillah. As a result, Musa kept this fast as a token of gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. So therefore we also fast as a gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. Nabi Islam said, Nahnu ahakku wa awla bi Musa minkum. Yours is just lip service. We are closer to Musa We are more, we are greater followers of what good he did. So Nabi Islam said, we will fast as well. But we were fasting. He said to the Sahaba Ikram, the question is that why did the Sahaba even bring this to his attention? Nabi Islam was fasting long before. The Sahaba were also taught to fast from before. The whole point of bringing it forward was that this was a lesson so deeply embedded in their hearts that look, don't resemble the ways of the Yahud and Nasara in any way. Don't imitate them in any way. Don't follow their ways at all. Don't resemble them at all. The Sahaba when they heard the Jews are fasting on this day, we are fasting, is this any resemblance? Is this incorrect or is this fine? This was their concern. This was the reason they came to Nabi Now This was not done because of the, the Jews. This was not out of resemblance for them. But despite that, Rasulullah said to them, he said to the Sahaba Ikram, that look, you continue fasting. Sumu Ashura. You're not fasting because of them. It's a very important fast. A very great day. Regarding the virtue, Nabi Islam says, Yukafiru Sanat al Madhya. It will, it's a compensation for all the minor sins of the past year. It's a very great virtue. So you continue fasting. You're not doing it for them. Or not doing it because of them. But despite that, Nabi Islam said, Look, you continue. But still oppose the Jews. Oppose the Yahud. How? You fast one day before or one day after as well. So you are now fasting two days. They only fast one day. You've broken this outward, very, very far, but outward resemblance also. Even outwardly, you are not resembling them in any way. And this is not the only occasion on which Rasulullah Sallallahu taught this lesson of opposing the ways of the Yahud and Nasara. And in our context, this is represented by what we call the Western culture, the ways of the Yahud and Nasara. This is the Western culture, which is totally opposed to everything about Islam. If you look down, analyze it, you'll find everything about the Western culture the ways of the Yahud and Nasara goes completely against what Nabi Islam has given us. What Allah has given us, what Nabi Islam has given us. In simple day-to-day things, we are taught, wash your hands before you eat, for example. Sit down and eat. In the Western culture, anything like washing hands, and then buffet style, like how animals graze. This is the Western culture. Directly opposing whatever Islam gives. 
in deen, when it comes to a nikah, Nabi Salaam's way, that inna a'zamra man nikahi barakatan aysaruhu mu'na. The nikah wherein the greatest barakat lies is the nikah which wherein the least expenses were incurred. The most simple. But in the way of the West, is it possible that they can have a simple wedding? No, then they say that you've got to rename this a funeral. How can it be possible? If it comes to the very object of life, but Allah Ta'ala has given us what Nabi Islam has given us, the purpose of life is to earn the akhirat. The things of life, this is a necessity, to the extent of necessity, like Luqman said to his son, that make an effort for this dunya to the extent you're going to live in this dunya. And make an effort for the akhirat, for the extent of time you're going to be in the hereafter. What is the comparison? There's no comparison. This worldly life is 60, 70, 80 years also, is less than a drop in the ocean of the akhirat. So this worldly life, the necessities will get taken care of. But the focus of life is the akhirat. So a person will strive for the akhirat. He'll make sacrifices for the akhirat. He'll sacrifice his time, his effort, his wealth, his energies, his thinking will be engaged for the akhirat. And the western life, the western culture, that whole concept of life is, you must live life to the full. The purpose of earning is for earning itself, to just amass. So therefore there's never a line, there's never an end point. The goalposts keep changing. Last year the budget was 10 million, so how can it be still 10 million? It now has to be 20 million. But the target has to change. And it will carry on, as Nabi Islam says, till the grave. Nothing will fill the belly of such a person except the sand of the grave. Yes, a person makes a moderate effort, whatever Allah Ta'ala wills, he'll bless him with it. But the purpose of life is not just to keep amassing and just keep earning for the, for the sake of earning. And besides that, to earn for fun. That's the western concept of life. Person must earn the whole year so that he can splash it all out in end of the year. And if there something comes to disrupt that end of the year fun time, then he is the most depressed person. Because his whole life, the whole object of life got disrupted. So the whole concept of the western way of life, the way of the Yahud and Nasara, totally opposes everything about Deen. The foundations of the Islamic culture, the cornerstones and the foundation are two things. Haya and simplicity. Haya and simplicity. And the cornerstones of Western culture is extravagance and immorality. Let us analyze it and we'll see it for ourselves. Extravagance and immorality. And that immorality is a tsunami that's just washing. Allah forbid... It's not only washing them away. How many of us are getting washed away as well? In that tsunami of immorality, this behayai and complete shamelessness, which is glaring everywhere, glaring in our homes, glaring in our dressing, as we said, that everything is opposed. In Islam, the dressing, loosely fitted garments. 
But the Western culture, it must be body hugging. It must be shorter, it must be tighter, it must be more revealing. Then it's right. So the more immoral it will be, the more immodest it will be, which even 50 years ago, if some disbeliever had to see this, what is currently the norm in Muslim homes, he would have been shocked. Maybe he would have fainted. But it's become the norm because of the tsunami. What we forgot about is this lesson of Ashura. Khaliful Yahud. Oppose the ways of the Yahud. And the Nasara, this western culture in this time and age. And Allah forbid if we don't take steps to turn the tide now, then this culture has a life on its, of its own and like how a child lives and grows, this culture also grows, grows in the wrong direction. So today it's on one level, tomorrow when the next generation comes, this culture would have grown its own kind of growth. A very, very terrible growth. A growth like a cancerous tumor. And the next generation will find what this generation did, which is shameless today. They'll find that like old ladies' things. Let's say that was old ladies' dressing. They will be gone to another, stooped to another level. So this is a very, very deep lesson that we are being given on the occasion of Ashura. To oppose the ways of the Yahud and Nasara is not just a, something that's an abstract. It's something to bring into our day-to-day lives. Simplicity and haya, these are the cornerstones, modesty, shame. This is what Islam thrives on, and the Islamic culture thrives on, and simplicity. When there will be simplicity, then there will be a lot of muhabbat and happiness and peace. And when there's extravagance, then everybody will be for himself. Because everybody has to enjoy his own things. And everything then will be far away from what Rasulullah is thought. So this is something extremely important for us to take to mind and heart, this lesson of when Nabi Islam said to the Sahaba, you continue fasting the day, the day of Ashura. You're not doing it because of the Yahud. But despite that, you still oppose them. How you will oppose them? Sumu yawman qablahu aw yawman ba'da. The Sahaba Ikram had taken this so deeply that the Sahaba explained that initially we would even make our little children fast. It's not compulsory, but they would out of the auspiciousness of this moment. So that enthusiasm was on such a level, they say we would make our children fast also. As the time went by, the end of the day came, the child got hungry, we with little toys made of cotton wool, we would try and just distract the child until the day passed and now then gave the child something to eat. But in this, the Muhaddisi had extracted a very important lesson. That fihi tamreen al-sibyan ala al-ibadat. That in this is the lesson that a person should be training his children for the obedience of Allah Ta'ala. A child, as he's growing up, salah is still not compulsory upon him. Salah becomes compulsory upon him when he now turns of age. When he becomes balir. But what did Nabi Salaam teach? That when the child is seven years old, teach him how to perform salah. When he's 10 years old, then punish him for missing it. He's not yet obligated. But teach it to him now and put some pressure on him to make sure he does it. When he's 10 years old. Because when the time comes that he's balir now, and he has never been accustomed to performing his salah regularly, it's not going to change overnight. Suddenly now that the light comes on, that now I'm 
obligated to perform salah so from today now all my salah will perform. He hasn't been doing it for ten, for so many years, he's going to start overnight. And that the good habits start off at a young age. Many a times all the wrongs are taught to our children, it's still small. So allow the child to do all the wrongs. Allow the child to dance around, it's still the child. So now the child is dancing around while he's a child, then when he grows up he makes the parents dance around. So now he's still a child, let him carry on. Let him do as he wishes. The good habit starts off while the child is still in the formative years. Unfortunately, you put the child, the child now needs to be, everybody is too busy with their own things, so now the child has to be taken care of. So the child is planted in front of the shaitan box. So now he's absorbing everything from there. So here is this lesson that the Sahaba also started training their children from the small age for the right things. And when those children grew up, then they grew up doing the right things. Yes, after all the efforts a person could make, he has done what was in his capacity. Sometimes something still don't work out. He's absolved of his responsibility then. He did what was in his capacity. But he set the foundation wrong. Then obviously a person plants weeds. Then roses can't grow out of those weeds. Weeds grow. So in any case, this is the occasion of the strength of Muharram, Ashura, and the various lessons that come from it, as we learn just to very quickly re- recap all the aspects. One was that this is the reminder that this calendar that we follow, the Hijra calendar, for all the sacrifices that were made by Rasulullah the Sahaba Ikram, this is the reminder that we are to be making this Hijrat daily in our lives. What Hijrat? The true Muhajir. Now let us take this deep down within us. And tomorrow morning, in fact, let us set our alarms from now before we go to sleep for the hijrat tomorrow morning. For the hijrat to the masjid. For the hijrat out of our beds and to the house of Allah Ta'ala. The hijrat from all the haram. That as soon as we go home, and even before that, if there's any haram on that phone, we're going to make hijrat from that haram and forsake all that. And delete all that evil. If there's any illicit relationship somewhere, there's a time to make hijrat from all this haram. To break up all those illicit relationships and make sincere Tawbah. This is the occasion of Tawbah as well as we learned. And this 10th of Muharram, Rasulullah very eagerly awaited the fast of this 10th of Muharram. We too should be trying. It's nafil. If somebody doesn't fast, there's no sin involved. If somebody does not fast, he's not to be rebuked in any way. But it's something very, very great. We should try. And tomorrow especially is not even a working day for most people. So we should try to take advantage of this very great opportunity and engage ourselves in this ibadat of fasting. And then together with that, all the various other things that we discussed. One last aspect which is very important for us to clear our minds off. And inshallah it's no more existing there. But there is one very big misconception about the day of Muharram, of the 10th of Muharram, the day of Ashura. Many unfortunately believe that the significance of the 10th of Muharram is due to the martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussain The martyrdom of Sayyidina Hussain was indeed a very very tragic incident in the annals of Islamic history. But this is not the occasion for that discussion now. Rather what is the discussion now is to clear the misconception. As we just discussed all the details that this virtue of the 10th of Muharram 
Rasulullah Sallallahu explained. He gave the virtue. He fasted. The Sahaba Ikram fasted. And all the various things that he taught. And Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu ta'ala an, the beloved grandson of Rasulullah Sallallahu Wasallam, the very very gruesome and tragic martyrdom that happened, happened decades after Rasulullah Sallallahu left this dunya. So while on the one hand martyrdom itself as tragic as it was, but for the martyr, this is something that takes him straight to Allah Ta'ala. وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَا يُقْتَلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتِ بَلْ أَحْيَاءُوا وَلَا كِلَّا تَشْعُرُونَ Allah Ta'ala says the martyrs, they are living. Don't even say dead. So that martyrdom itself is a great virtue for the person. In the case of Hazrat Hussain radiallahu ta'ala an, this was an added virtue for him, that his martyrdom occurred on an auspicious occasion. Like somebody passed away on a Jumu'ah. So the Jumu'ah didn't become virtuous because of his passing away. He got virtue out of passing away on a Jumu'ah. Somebody passed away on the 27th of Ramadan. The 27th of Ramadan is already virtuous. He gets the goodness of having been blessed with this day. And as far as martyrdom is concerned, then it's already the 10th of Muharram, the 1st of Muharram. Are we aware of who was martyred? There was a very, very gruesome martyrdom that occurred of a great soldier of Islam on the first of Muharram. Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala who is that personality regarding whom Rasulullah sallallahu said, لَوْ كَانَ بَعْدِي نَبِيًّا لَكَانَ عُمَر Had there been a Nabi after me, Rabbi Umar radiallahu anhu. He said to him once that, Umar, when you walk down a path, shaitan walks the other side. He cannot dare to cross paths with you. And so many virtues about him. And one day while performing the Fajr Salah in the Masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam, on the Musalla of Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam, Abu Lu'lu Majusi, who was a fire worshipper, disguised himself in the darkness of the morning and he came with a dagger hidden under his garments. And then while Hazrat Umar is performing the Fajr Salah, he breaks out of the saf and he comes and stabs him with this dagger. Several times. As Umar falls, unable to continue with the Salah. And just the Sahaba that were immediately behind him, they saw what happened. Others didn't even know what happened. Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he quickly steps forward. And he continues with the Salah. This person runs out. And as somebody tried to capture him, he kills himself in the process. He had stabbed several other Sahaba as well. As Umar is stabbed very, very deeply in his stomach. And other places, they carry him, bring him home. Somebody brings a glass of milk to give him to drink. The milk he drinks oozes out of that wound. And he also sees that this is, I'm not, not going to survive this. Others also see he's not going to survive. There are many, many details in this whole incident. Very, very heart-rending details. But in any case, a few days later, Hazrat Umar passed away. That date was the first of Muharram. This great personality of Islam, the second Khalif of Islam, one of the Ashara Mubashara, one of those ten Sahaba who Nabi Islam in one hadith gave them the glad tidings of Jannah. He was martyred in this gruesome ma- manner. But how many of us knew about it also? How many of us knew the dates? How come? We all know about one martyrdom. Indeed, we should know about when that happened and the, the details of that as well. But how come we didn't know about this? 
How come we didn't know about the martyrdom of Sayyidina Osman radiallahu ta'ala? It's a very lengthy incident and many details again. But towards the latter part, now the last days, there were rebels that had come from outside Madinah Munawwara. And after a lot of incitement and so on, they finally came and surrounded the house of Sayyidina Osman radiallahu ta'ala. And they wouldn't even let him leave. And he couldn't even get to the masjid to perform salah. And one day he managed to come out onto the roof of his home. Now among these people who had come from outside, some simple-minded people also got caught up. Osman now comes up onto the roof of his home and he addresses these people. And he says to them, do you know that Nabi Wasallam, when he migrated to Medina Munawwara and there was no sweet water, there was only one well which was owned by a Jew and he was asking for a lot of money to even buy the water. Nabi Islam said, who will buy this well? And he will become just one of the ordinary Muslims in terms of the rights over this well. He will not have any preferential treatment. Then for him is Jannat. Do you know that I with my personal wealth bought that well and gifted it to the Muslims? He said, Allahumma na'am. Yes, we are aware of it. In other words, this glad tiding of Jannah Nabi Islam gave you, we are aware of it. In this manner he recounted several instances that when the time came to equip a certain army and I had given so much, Nabi Wasallam took those coins and he began flipping it in his hands and began saying, Ma adarra Usmana ma fa'ala ba'du After today whatever Usman does, nothing can harm him. He has done such great service to Islam that he has already made his seat in Jannat. Are you aware of it? Yes, we are aware of it. But on now in this part of his life, they weren't allowing him to even have the water of that well that he had now gifted to the Muslims. In any case, he reminded them of all these things. He went back into his home and a short while, day or two later, they somehow broke into his home. And as they broke into his home and barged in, at that time he was busy sitting and reciting the Kalamullah. And one of them came and tried to strike him with his sword his wife came in the way and she put a hand in front to stop that. As a result, her fingers were chopped out. And then Hazrat Osman was attacked while deciding the Quran Sharif and the blood spilt onto the pages of the Quran Sharif and in this manner he was martyred. Have we heard about this? Have we known about it? The third Khalif of Islam, the son-in-law of Rasulullah when one daughter of Nabi Sallallahu passed away, who was his wife, Nabi Sallallahu got him married to the next daughter. And then when she passed away, Nabi Islam said, had I another, if I had another daughter, I would give that daughter to Usman also. And he was martyred in this way, we never heard about it. We never heard about the martyrdom of Bira Mauna. The whole book of the history of Islam is filled with the blood of martyrs. This whole garden of Islam has been watered with the blood of martyrs. Which day we going to mourn? This specification of mourning one particular martyrdom, this has come from nowhere but the Shias. This indoctrination and infiltration has happened from that quarters. So yes, we are deeply affected by the martyrdom of all those who got martyred. Whether it was Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala Sayyidina Usman radiallahu ta'ala whether it was Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala who according to authentic narrations was poisoned. So this was a form of martyrdom. And whether it was Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala whether it was the martyrs of Bira Mauna, 
which happened in the time of Rasulullah And he was so affected by this. 70 Sahaba who were waylaid and martyred that for one month in the Fajr Salah, Nabi Wasallam recited the Qunut. And he cursed the tribes that were responsible for this betrayal of his Sahaba. So deeply he was affected. But yet we find after that, Nabi Wasallam didn't observe any day as the day of martyrdom. The Sahaba didn't observe it. The Sahaba didn't observe the day of martyrdom of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala. So we are affected by the martyrdom of all the martyrs, including Sayyidina Hussain radiallahu ta'ala and his family members. But what we have been taught is to live the spirit of the martyrs. They sacrifice their lives for Allah ta'ala. Again, coming back to the very basics, are we going to sacrifice our sleep at the time of Fajr tomorrow morning? Are we going to sacrifice our beds and sacrifice our homes to come to the house of Allah Ta'ala? Are we going to sacrifice our businesses at the time of Zohar Asar? Are we going to just sacrifice our haram pleasures? Are we going to sacrifice those evil temptations? That is our sacrifice. That's the least that is asked of us. That is the spirit of the martyrs that we have to love. May Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala give us the reality. May Allah Ta'ala give us the true understanding of deen. Allah Ta'ala enable us to take the full benefit of these auspicious occasions and also to correct any misconceptions that might be in our hearts and minds. Allah Ta'ala bless us with the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama asnayta ala nafsik. Jazallahu anna nabiyyana muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bima huwa ahlu. اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما واجعلنا للمتقين إماما واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم ثبتنا على الإيمان وأمتنا على الإيمان واحشرنا يوم القيامة مع الإيمان يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على دينك يا مصرف القلوب صرف قلوبنا على طاعتك اللهم اقسم لنا من خشتك ما تحول به بيننا وبين معصيتك ومن طاعتك ما تبلغنا به جنتك ومن اليقين ما تهون به علينا مصائب الدنيا اللهم متعنا بأسماعنا وأبصارنا وقواتنا ما أحييتنا واجعله الوارث منا واجعل ثأرنا على من ظلمنا وانصرنا على من عادانا ولا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا مبلغ علمنا ولا تسلط علينا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وأصحابه اجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين